Well, one of the things that I have become more convinced of, maybe now as a grandfather, more than I was as a dad even, is that there is a lot of pressure on parents. If you think about uh, how hard it is merely to keep them fed with higher prices and inflation, or to keep them clothed, or to keep them clean, or to keep them healthy, or maybe even merely to keep them alive. Some, for some parents, that's a big feat. It's not uh, something that you can take for granted. But those are sort of the basics, and it's hard enough to do the basics. But if parents pay very close attention, they realize that uh, they're given feedback very, very early. I don't know, early as second or third grade, that somehow their children are falling behind. That uh, why? Why are they not playing on that traveling team? Or how will they possibly get into Stanford if they're not in the Talented and Gifted program? And then don't forget, of course, the music lessons that they must have and the school play that they must participate in and all of the other things that parents must do, what, to serve their kids. And I think it's harder now maybe in, than it's ever been because uh, when I was a kid, for sure, and when I was a parent, it was kind of hard to kind of tell what was happening with other families. I mean, they'd close their door, bring the garage door down, and you didn't know what's happening in there. You didn't know what extracurricular activities they had or what tutors they were part of or what trips they took. But now it's all on Instagram. Now it's easy to tell that you're falling behind. And the reality is, and I felt this as a dad, and I see it everywhere I look, parents are unable to do what they really want to do for their parents, or for their children, excuse me. Parents are unable to do for their kids what they really want to do. I mean, after all, I really want their life to be good and easy and successful and all of the things, and I have virtually no control over any of those things. There is one thing, however, that parents do have control over, and that is to bring their children to Jesus. And we see that happen in the text that we have before us this morning. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew 19, there are actually some parents who bring their children to Jesus. And it is the one thing that parents can do that will make all the difference. So I'll begin reading from Matthew 19. I'll begin reading in verse 13. It says, Then children were brought to him that he may lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. 
And here, Jesus takes the opportunity when children are brought to Him to give us more insight into what the kingdom of heaven is like. Because the kingdom of heaven causes a shift in our priorities. The kingdom of heaven gives us a different view of the importance of people. If you were to look at the world without kingdom eyes, you would overlook people. You would overplay your priorities. Yet when you see the world like Jesus sees it, you realize that the children and the least important are in fact the central citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so here in Matthew 19, the very first thing we see is that there are some adults who bring their children to Jesus and they desire Him to lay His hands on them and to pray for them. They bring their children to Jesus. This is one of the things that we do uh, when we have a baby dedication. It is the parents' um, intention to say to the church, we're bringing our children to Jesus. And if you... uh, not been part of a baby dedication or your child hasn't and you want to do that, uh, you can find a way to do that on the Sunday Hub. But bringing your children to Jesus is the work of parents. In fact, it's the work of all the adults in their life. But they brought the children to Jesus. The children didn't come on their own. They were brought. They were brought by some adult in their life so that Jesus would place His hands on them and pray for them. This is the only time, really, that Jesus is asked to pray for somebody. Jesus asked for a lot of things, to heal somebody or to uh, raise them from the dead or to do any number of things, but this is the only time He's asked to pray for somebody. And there's only one other time when Jesus places His hands on a child. And it's a little bit of a surprise, actually. Because if uh, you were to look back to chapter 9 in uh, Matthew, Matthew 9, 18, it says, While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in uh, and knelt before Jesus and said to him, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And so here, rather than parents bringing their kids to Jesus so that he'll pray for them, He says, Jesus, come lay your hands on my child, and my child will live. That does kind of give me some indication that some of these children, anyway, may have not been completely healthy. That these children here may have been even disabled children who were brought by their parents to be healed by Jesus. Because if you look back now in uh, chapter 19, um, where did these kids come from? Chapter 19, verses 1 and 2 tell us where they came from. In verse 1, it gives us the setting. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went from Galilee, entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. So where did these children come from? These children came from the crowd that was hanging around Jesus. The the religious leaders did come and pick a fight with Jesus 
in the meantime, but the crowd was still around. And where did the kids come from? The kids came from the crowd. The kids had already been around Jesus. The kids were milling around doing what kids do. And some adult said, wait a minute. Let's not miss the point here. Let's not miss the opportunity. Let's go see Jesus. Now, I think that's important because it's very easy for parents, I think, to bring children to church, but not to bring them to Jesus. To have them around things that are going on that have to do with the kingdom of heaven, but not actually introduce them to Jesus in a way that He uh, touches them and changes their lives. And so I would ask the question, really, what is the difference between bringing children to church and bringing children to Jesus? Because I do think that there's a difference. And the first thing that I would notice, even from the text here, is that bringing children to Jesus is personal. Somebody brought them. Somebody, somebody picked them up and carried them. Somebody walked them by the hand to Jesus. Somebody went to other people, the disciples. They got the stiff arm there, but they had to go through people to get to Jesus, which is what happens. And so, bringing children to Jesus is personal. And so let me say this. Parents, your children are not going to desire to be with Jesus more than you desire to be with Jesus. Your children are not going to somehow go farther with Jesus than you will go with Jesus. In fact, if anybody has all kinds of reasons not to come, it's children, isn't it? Children are busy with all kinds of things. In fact, uh, there aren't very many of you that have opportunities this morning to go and play sports during church, but I promise you that somewhere, somehow, there are children on organized scenes playing sports this morning. There are all kinds of reasons children don't have to come. They're going to need to be brought by someone who loves them. The next thing that I would say about bringing children to Jesus is that bringing to children to Jesus is a full-time occupation. It is a seven-day-a-week operation, not merely a one-hour-on-Sunday operation. If Jesus is going to be the Lord of their life, it's going to be an all-of-life uh, effort to introduce them to Jesus Not something that other people will do. It has to be some parent, maybe some grandparent, is going to need to bring them, and not just bring them once, bring them for an hour, but bring them into a relationship with Jesus all the time. Which means that you're paying attention to the ways in which Jesus 
engages the world of the child. One of my favorite um, verses on this is um, from Deuteronomy. And it really hits all of the marks that we're talking about here. And it's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. In other words, it's got to be personal with parents. It's got to be personal with the people bringing the children to Jesus. The children will not love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength if the parents don't love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not going to be on the hearts of the children if it's not on the hearts of the parents. And then in continues in Deuteronomy 6. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you bind. You shall bind them on, as a sign on your hand and you shall put them as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, are there in your house, in your life, in your schedule, in your routines, the things that you want your children to see about Jesus. Because it's a 24-7 operation to bring them to Jesus. It's so that when they get up, they're brought. When they go to bed, they're brought. When they walk out the door, they see it. When they walk in the door, they see it. It's talked about at meals. talked about when you're out and about, when you're in the car. Bring children to Jesus instead of bringing them to church requires full-time attention. I would say, too, that to bring children to Jesus means that you move children out of the center so that Jesus can be their center. You can't be a child-centered parent or even a parent-centered parent and expect Jesus will have his rightful place in your child's life. Now if those terms are new for you, what I mean when I say a parent-centered family is this, that a parent-centered family is where uh, mom and dad derive their self-esteem from their children. That the parents are so wrapped up in how their children are doing that they get their identity from their children. So that if the children are intelligent, mom and dad are intelligent. If the kids have friends and the mom and dad feel good about their social skills. If the kids are athletic, then mom and dad feel better about themselves. The kids are at the center of church or the youth group or something, mom and dad feel like uh, they're doing it right and their self-esteem is raised. And when mom and dad are so tied up in the success of their kids that the kids then give mom and dad what they need, you have parent-centered 
children and parent-centered parents. And I'm going to say, it's easy for me to talk about that, isn't it? But who has not seen that happen even when you look in the mirror? Because so, so easy to derive our sense of self from the job that we do as parents. And if we're at the center, Jesus is not going to be at the center of our family. There is also a sense in which families can be child-centered. And to be a child-centered family is one that puts the children, of course, at the center, where heaven and earth are moved so that children have every advantage, where all of the obstacles are knocked out of the way for the children. When parents go around explaining to everyone that this is why their children can um, do whatever they want, because mom and dad are in the business of making it easy for the child. Child-centered family is one in which the parents prepare the path for the child rather than the child for the path. And this might take all kinds of forms. It might take the kind of form where the child must be on their best behavior all the time. It might take the form where the child must be busy all the time with all sorts of activities. And somewhere, the parents are going to have to come to grips with the fact that we're going to be a family that centers our life on Jesus, and that means telling children no. That means me sometimes feeling awkward or not so successful. It means that we're going to have to figure out how to get Jesus at the center of the family 24-7 so that I, first of all, as a parent, love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then... I could hope that my children will love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, be the adult that brings children to Jesus. If it's your own kids, great. If it's somebody else's kids, great. If your grandkids, great. But be the person that brings them to Jesus. And some of this could happen if you volunteer in the youth ministry or volunteer in New Life Kids, that can certainly happen there. But it won't necessarily happen because you do this or that. It will happen when adults love and care for kids. One of the the things that makes me smile as much as anything is the last birthday party that we were around for in our family um, my grandson invited uh, a woman from the church who wasn't his teacher but is over 70 years old and she came to this little boy's birthday party. And she, w- <laughs> she, <laughs> she laughed about it and like, what am I doing at this little kid's birthday party? But I'll tell you what she was doing there. She was doing exactly what we're talking about. She had been the the person who had cared for him at church and they'd connected and had a special friendship. And you know what? Anybody can do that from any vantage point. 
And you can be the adult that brings children to Jesus. And they were brought that Jesus might lay his hands on them, whether to heal them, whether to bless them. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us what Jesus was going to do. I assume that there was some kind of a blessing as he prayed for them. But bring your children, bring other people's children to Jesus. Well, somebody did here. Somebody in the text brought children to Jesus. And what happened when they did? They ran into church people. They ran into disciples, didn't they? Disciples who knew better. Disciples who knew what the priorities were. Disciples who knew who was important. I don't know what was happening here. I don't know if the disciples had decided some hierarchy of important people. Like here are the religious leaders, and maybe here are the rich people, and here are the beautiful people, here are the normal people, here are the children. Now, we've got time for all these others, but not for the people who are lowest on the ladder. We don't know. And sometimes people do this with children, sometimes people do this with other people, don't they? that we sort of go through our minds and we make some kind of hierarchy. We don't mean to. We just sort of surprise ourselves with it sometimes. I, maybe you've been to a party where you don't know everybody and you're wondering if anyone's going to be nice to you. and So you're there sort of off to the edge and you're looking around and you see this group over here visiting and this group over here visiting and pretty soon it becomes obvious to you that the only other person who hasn't found a group is like that person, the boring person, the one like, oh, really? Do I have to spend the evening with this person? Person? That person. Tell me that happens to you, not just to me, right? <laughs> I'm going to be real awkward here with just me. I think all of us have probably been in that situation where we somehow parse all the people in the room and oh, then we end up with that one, don't we? We've done exactly the same thing the disciples have. It wasn't with children, but it was with the rest of the people. There are some who are um, maybe more deserving or some who are better than others. And that's not how it goes here, is it? I think the other thing that the disciples must have been doing, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt because it doesn't say, right? It doesn't say. They just said they rebuked them, like, go away. It doesn't say what they did. But maybe it was the kind of, they, they ranked the kind of people. Maybe they just ranked the, the priorities. Maybe they were doing triage on Jesus' calendar. They were sort of the virtual assistants of Jesus, and they were going to help him prioritize what was most important. And so they looked at his calendar, and they saw that, well, he's pretty busy today. I'm sorry. You'll have to come back later, or you'll have to take a number. Maybe you have to call our online helpline. I don't know. But somehow they had decided that there were more urgent priorities than the one that uh, than these children presented. And I would say that 
that probably is an issue for many of us too, isn't it? Where we maximize our lives and we fill our calendars so full we don't have time for interruptions. Which is what these children were. These children were an interruption to Jesus. The disciples figured that their life was too full to be interrupted. That Jesus' life was too full to be interrupted by children. And so then Jesus tells us, and here is the good news, isn't it? Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Let the little children come and do not hinder them. There's two sides to this invitation. The first side is let them come. Let them come. In other words, do what you can to be the person who includes children. Be what you, do what you can do to include people that you think might be second class or not be quite up to some measurement you have in your mind. Be the person that includes them. Let them come. I mean, this is, I hope, the environment that we are building at New Life Church is let the little children come. There are kids' classes downstairs and in the nursery, and we're doing our best to serve families for sure. But if children want to come join us here, that's great. We're not merely going to say, stick with your own thing. We have classes for you. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've heard, and, and I've heard pastors who will call families out, right, at church and say, we have a nursery. I mean, for some people, that just is really sad. For me, it's a complete nightmare. Because that is the way that some people see it. That sounds very much like the disciples, doesn't it? Rebuking rather than welcoming. And Jesus says, no, kids are welcome here. Kids are welcome church. Kids are welcome at life groups. Sometimes um, life group is some of the toughest place to have kids present. There's always some... uh, some kind of distraction, some kind of frustration when kids are there, but you know what? Kids are supposed to be with other people. They're not just supposed to be sequestered off in this little age group bubble hoping that they travel through life just fine, bumping into people only their own age. To put them together in a life group with other grown-ups is probably really good for the grown-ups as well as the kids. In other words, in church or life group, kids are not a disruption to church. They are church. See, some of that, some of the reason that I even have to say this is that we have the wrong idea what church is. I think we think that church is some kind of content dissemination event where the main point is for me to have some kind of eloquent presentation that you passively receive. And if that's the case, 
then we've all missed the boat because really what happens here is the family gathering when we gather to hear from the Lord about the priorities of Jesus. The priority of Jesus happens to be, in this case for sure, children. And so rather than being a disruption or a problem, children are important. I mean, we, we do this, um, we do this in lots of places, right, where we, we sort of make this separation, like here's the grown-ups and here's the kids. I mean, Thanksgiving is like the classic. The first classic thing about Thanksgiving is the turkey. The second classic thing about Thanksgiving is the kids' table, right? And uh, might work Thanksgiving, I work at your family, but the reality is in church, it isn't necessarily the same thing. Because children have the most precious invitation from Jesus. Let them come. Let them come. Jesus invites them all the way in. Let them come. And don't hinder them. Don't hinder them. There's both sides. There's a in, let them come and there's the don't hinder them. Because the reality is we do stuff to get in our own way, don't we? We want to say children come and then we do stuff and we don't even know. It slows that down. It, just yesterday there were 62 people at disability training that we had to try and help the church get out of our own way and bring down barriers for children and families, people with disabilities, to come into the church. Let them come and don't hinder them. This is one of the reasons that we have a child safety standard at our church. Everyone who works with children or teens has to annually pay attention to what is standards for safety and care for children because among other things we want to promise we want to promise parents we're going to at a minimum keep children safe even better we're going to not do things that hinder children and so we're doing our best to say they're welcome come and not to hinder them and then jesus says For such, to such belong the kingdom of heaven. For to such belong the kingdom of heaven. Now, that isn't my favorite translation of the original language here because there is no word belong in uh, the original. Like, they, you know, they're part of it. It's more literal than that. If you were going to really be straight away, you'd say, of such are the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the kingdom of heaven is comprised. It doesn't belong to them. It's comprised of people like children. The kingdom of heaven is comprised of people who others would reject. The kingdom of heaven is comprised of people who are left on the margins. This just fits with everything else Jesus has said, doesn't it? kingdom of heaven uh, 
belongs to those who are the least of these. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is made up of people who are not worth the time of the important people. The kingdom of heaven is full of those who are overlooked and rejected. And the kingdom of heaven is full of them because they are there at the invitation of Jesus. The people who are not qualified, the people who are not a priority, the people who are not important enough, those are the ones who comprise the kingdom of heaven. This is really the second time that we've seen this from Jesus. If you look back one chapter, so chapter 18, at the beginning of chapter 18, it says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And Jesus puts a premium on childlikeness and invites all of us to be that way so that we can get in. Rather than being so sure of ourselves, rather than trying to perform, rather than trying to be all of that and measure up, Jesus said, be like a child. Because children comprise the kingdom of heaven. And then we have the last verse, which says, then Jesus laid his hands on them and left. Now, that's not really the ending I want. Right? I want some kind of ending where he lays his hands on them and something spectacular happens or some wonderful blessing comes down from heaven. We don't know. We don't know who those children are. We don't know what happened to them. We just know that Jesus did what the parents asked. They brought the children to Jesus and Jesus did what they asked. And he laid his hands on them and I assume prayed for them. And these children received a touch from Jesus. And that's what really mattered. Because it, time comes and goes. People's lives come and go. Whether somebody goes to a good college or plays for a great team or does any of these other things, they're going to be forgotten before long. But the fact that they came to Jesus and know Jesus, that will last them forever. And so, those of you who are children who are here, I have good news for you. You are welcome. Jesus opens his arms and wants to welcome you in. You are first class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And the good news is for children, but it's not only for children. Because if 
you don't consider yourself some sort of high-priority person. Maybe you think that you're you know, not good enough or you haven't been around long enough or somehow you're disqualified. The good news is that Jesus opens His arms to you as well. Because it doesn't matter really how old you are or how big you are. doesn't matter how important you are or how many good things you've done. doesn't matter how far you've traveled or what kind of pig pen you were in. If you turn and come back to the Father, He will welcome you with open arms. And that's the good news, not just for children, but for any of us. That Jesus loves you and welcomes you no matter how small you are. Because you matter to Jesus. In fact, the invitation that Jesus gave the children, let them come, is the same invitation really that all of us have. Because in chapter 11 of uh, the book of Matthew, at the end of chapter 11, he says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's the same invitation, come. And he says, take my yoke on you and upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the good news is that Jesus loves you. If you're a child, if you're uh, somehow struggling, if you feel like you're disqualified, you are the very person He welcomes. And if that's the case, why would you stay away? Why would you stay at a distance from Jesus when you can be absolutely certain when you return and come, He will welcome you? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank You for the confidence that we can all have that if we will turn from our sin and turn to You, that You will welcome us with open arms, that You stand ready to place Your hands on all of us and to bless us. Father, I pray in particular that You would um, bless parents as they bring their children to Jesus. Father, I pray you would bless the children who are going to come little by little to Jesus. Father, I pray for those who tell themselves a story that they're not good enough or important enough or worthy enough. Father, so we all turn and come. Would you give us a sense that we are welcome to come to Jesus? And we'll thank you. I thank you so much, Lord. Jesus died on a cross and rose again that we might come and be welcome. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.